Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. On a hot day, there's almost nothing like a cold beer. A good beer relaxes, refreshes, and invigorates. Bad ones? Well, we're not going to talk about those. Beer has been around for about 5,000 years. Enough time for many styles, flavors, and techniques to develop, and beer lovers are grateful, very, very grateful. Meanwhile, our city has become a home to a number of award-winning craft breweries, each with their own signature styles and dedicated fans. How has the local craft beer scene developed? We'll talk with a few brewmasters and take a taste test on what's next. That's coming up later this hour. But first, Tennessee's top education official is stepping down at the end of this school year. Education Commissioner Penny Schwinn has served in her position since 2019 when she was appointed by Governor Bill Lee. Now she's leaving the post at the moment when schools and education have been in the spotlight. Here to walk us through this departure is WPLN's education reporter, Alexis Marshall. Hey, Alexis, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So great. So great to have you here. So Commissioner Schwinn has been in this role for more than four years. Tell us, what will she be remembered for? So she's done a lot, but arguably the biggest change is implementing the new school funding formula for all Tennessee public schools. It replaced a 30-year-old formula that had been used before that was really based on school needs. Uh, And so here's Schwinn in a 2021 interview talking about the philosophy of this new funding formula. At the end of the day, the conversation has got to be about the children in our schools and about kids and the students we serve. And so any conversation about any of these really big, important topics has got to start with the child. What do each of our individual children need? What does that mean as a collective system? How do we fund that? How do we build programs? And then certainly what policies are going to elevate and accelerate student growth and achievement over time? So that new student-focused formula is called the Tennessee Investment in Student Achievement, or TISA, and it allocates a base amount of money for each student and then adds more to meet their individual needs. So that means that kids who are low income or have disabilities or English language learners all have additional money allotted to them under this new formula. And it also recalibrated the amount of money that uh, individual school districts chip in to help pay for education. Um, So far as Schwinn's other accomplishments go, she helped launch a $100 million literacy program uh, and helped expand, uh, uh, grow your own program to help expand the teacher pipeline in Tennessee. Now, not everyone was a fan of Schwinn's, especially because of her ties to charter schools and the way she supported vouchers for private schools. What's been the reaction from people who've been critical of her tenure? Well, Democrat uh, John Ray Clemens in an interview said good riddance about Mm. her leaving office. Um, He said this week that no one has done more harm to public education than Schwinn and says it'll take years to undo the damage that she's done. Um, And it's not just Democrats who have criticized her. She also got called out um, by a conservative parent group called Moms for Liberty in Williamson County for not investigating curriculum there based on the state's prohibited concepts law, which bans certain teachings on race and history. Hmm. Penny Schwinn led the department through the pandemic which really disrupted education across the state. 
a lot of children switched to online classes. How did she handle this? So that's actually something that she has mentioned she has kind of some regrets about. Um, she says that she wishes she had put more resources into student mental health during the pandemic. And she had proposed doing kind of well-being checks on students, um, especially those that were not participating in remote learning the way that they should have been. Uh, but some Republicans really laid into her for that idea, saying that it was overreach and an invasion of privacy. So she ended up having to walk that back. Um, Schwinn also did launch a tutoring initiative to help get kids caught up from pandemic learning loss. Um, and those types of programs are continuing with Tennessee Allcore, just different tutoring and summer programs to help kids catch up from learning loss. Has Schwinn said why she's leaving or where she's going next? Not exactly, although in an interview with an online publication, she did complain about culture war issues um, and that politics have been distracting in Tennessee. Um, education in Tennessee has become engulfed in culture wars over the past few years with battles over what we teach about sexism and racism in history. And the legislature has also passed bills that target LGBTQ students. Um, notably, she did not specify um, what specific legislation she disagreed with. Um, as for where she's going next, Schwinn hasn't said, but she did tell that same publication that she has some opportunities and that she'll be letting us know which one she picks in the next month or so. Okay. So tell us who the governor has tapped as her replacement. Um, that is going to be Lizette Gonzalez Reynolds from Texas. She is taking the reins at the Department of Education starting July 1. So what do we know about her so far? Um, she currently serves as the vice president of policy for the group Excel in Ed. Uh, that's a nonprofit founded by former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. And among other priorities, the group has been at the forefront of promoting school choice. Um, that means advocating for more charter schools and school voucher programs, which send public school dollars associated with each student into privately operated schools. Um, public school advocates say that that drains resources from the public school system, which have to offer the same services, even if enrollment and funding decrease. What does this tell us about the direction of education in Tennessee? Education has traditionally been a place where folks are able to find more common ground and put aside some of their partisan politics. But in Tennessee, um, classrooms have increasingly become a battleground for culture wars. Penny Schwinn was appointed by the Republican governor and helped found a charter school out west. But a lot of her focus was on issues with broad support, like literacy. Um, and she also had some experience as a classroom teacher. Um, Lizette Gonzalez Reynolds comes to us with a long resume in policy experience. Um, and right from the jump, she has been talking about school choice. So that's a controversial issue. Um, and education may be fixing to get that much more political in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Alexis Marshall is WPLN's education reporter. Alexis, thanks for being here. Thanks for the update. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we will learn about some unusual local beer laws and get a preview of this weekend's Craft Brewers Conference. Do you enjoy craft beer? Tell us all about it and join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this 
is Nashville. This coming Sunday, thousands of craft beer makers are coming to town for the Craft Brewers Conference and Brew Expo. It is a networking and educational event where craft brewers can meet fellow enthusiasts and learn how to make their beer that much better. The fact that it's being held here in Nashville tells you our local beer scene has come a long way. While Tennessee is known for its whiskey, our city is getting props for its beer. But the laws around making craft beer are a little quirky. My next guests are here to help us make sense of it all. I'd like to introduce Sharon Creek, Executive Director of Cheek, pardon me, Executive Director of the Tennessee Craft Brewers Guild, and Will Cheek III, an attorney who specializes in alcoholic beverage work. And also, full disclosure, Sharon's husband. Sharon, Will, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Khalil. Really great to have you here. So the Craft Brewers Conference is coming to town. Yes. Sharon, I know this has to be exciting. You tell us, what can people expect from the conference? The city will be overtaken by craft brewers, craft brew professionals, anybody from the industry from all around the world. And it's a very exciting time. There will be activations. There will be special events, lots of live music, of course, because we're Nashville. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, of course, some really special beer that will be released during the conference and only available during the conference, too. So tell me, about how many beers are we talking about here? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I can't even keep up with it. There's a there's a calendar of events on the Craft Brewers Conference website, and it's just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And that's not even all of it. Oh, wow. That's yeah. exciting. So, you know, what does what's the significance of the conference coming to Nashville? What does that mean? I think it's several things. I think it's a recognition that Tennessee is making waves nationally on the beer in the beer scene. I think also it's a nod to the city's efforts to bring in conferences and to bring in really unique and interesting groups to come and and have their events here. It's a great place to be. Would you say our local beer scene is one of the top ones in the country? We are definitely one of the top. Uh, I think we have several cities in Tennessee that I would also rank in the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we're getting up there. We're definitely making a name for ourselves, All for right. sure. All right. Now, Will, I hear that you are the go-to attorney for alcoholic beverage law. And I'm thinking about all these different beer makers that are coming here now. Yeah. How can brewers from across the country sell their beer here legally? Well, so in order to sell beer, you have to register it with the state. And when you do that, you have to designate a wholesaler and you cannot break up with your wholesaler. The process to stop that's really hard. So if you're not already bringing beer into the state, you've got to decide which wholesaler you're going to use, which is a big question because if you want to continue to sell beer in Nashville, you've got to go through that same wholesaler. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So... You know, outside of the special circumstances that the conference brings, what are the laws here like for local breweries? Well, so it's not terribly difficult, but you've got to get a permit from the federal government in order to be able to uh, to brew beer. And then you have to get a, a permit from the city in order to brew beer. And then you need a permit to be able to sell it at your brewery. Wow. So uh-huh. three different per- permits on different levels. Tell me, what role did prohibition play in establishing kind of the laws the way they are here in the state? Well, so before prohibition, we drank way too much as a country. And Mm -hmm. we had a social experiment where we said, well, we'll just cold turkey. We'll stop drinking. 
which was crazy. <laughs> it didn't work very well. But when they repealed prohibition, they set in place a series of laws that are designed to make consumption of alcohol more moderated. So these laws are designed to make it harder to get alcohol. And as crazy as it seems now, um, they are set up to specifically make it more expensive and slower to get into business mm. and harder to operate. Okay, now, Sharon, you're the executive director of the Tennessee Craft Brewers Guild. Tell me, how do you help local brewers develop their product? So we're, um, we represent 70 breweries across the state of Tennessee. There's about 150 in the state total. And the Guild is really here to create community among the brewers, encourage collaboration, of course. And then also we're that champion for legislative initiatives and big wins like some of the issues that Will has already brought up. Self-distribution is one of those. So you're, you're engaging in lobbying efforts with lawmakers on, on the local and state levels. Do you happen to have a meeting and bring a six-pack with you when you're talking to them? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. What, what, but we might get more laws passed if we did. <laughs> probably. Probably. Tell me, what, what, what challenges are brewers in the state currently facing? Gosh, I'm, I'm going to let Will speak to that a little bit more than me because most of our issues are at the local beer board level and it changes from community to community. But I would say one of our biggest wins, of course, was statewide self-distribution. But Will, what are some well, of so, the other things? So that, statewide self-distribution was a big deal for breweries. If you if you start up a brewery, you got to be able to sell your beer in different places. Mm -hmm. And if you're a small brewery, it's hard to get the attention of a wholesaler. They're, the wholesalers are they're not bad people or anything, but they distribute big brands, Budweiser, Miller, Coors. And so why do they want to pick up your little tiny small account? And why do they want to work hard to get it into grocery stores or into, into the restaurant down the street? So if you could distribute beer yourself... When you start out, it's a lot easier because you go around the corner to your neighborhood, you know, your neighborhood bar or a restaurant that you like, and you say, "Hey, try my beer," and then you can bring it to them yourself. That's what self-distribution is, and it's really helpful for small breweries to get into business. Sharon, that kind of leads to the community aspect that you were talking about earlier that breweries bring. Yes, um, we have several events throughout the year. Um, we have a program called Farm to Tap that brings farmers and brewers together for happy hours and different types of events. And it's just awesome to see the connections and the relationships that are building amongst our brewers, not only in Nashville, but it might be a, a, a Nashville brewer and a Memphis brewer that hit it off and do a collaboration. There's actually a collaboration beer uh, for the conference that was done with uh, Jackalope from Nashville and Crosstown in Memphis mm. together. So there's lots of that community building that's happening. If you're so. just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour with Sharon Cheek and Will Cheek III about our local craft beer scene. Send us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Now, you know, I'm not saying anyone does this, but... Will, is it legal for someone to brew their own beer at home? Yeah, you can brew your own beer at home. It's simple. It's simple as that? It's as simple as that. But you got to be careful about what you do with it. You can't just bring it down to your neighborhood restaurant and have them sell it. Okay. It's just for your consumption and maybe whoever comes to your house sure. can enjoy it. Now, you mentioned that in order to sell beer in Tennessee, you have to be with a wholesaler. And once you're with that wholesaler, you can't get out of that agreement. How... How does that work for the conference when all sorts of folks are bringing in their beer in town just for the week? 
Well, one nice thing about Nashville is it's still a relatively small town. So uh, the beer wholesale representative and the state of Tennessee and the brewers got together and they came up with a very simple process. So if you want to bring your beer in from out of town, you register with the state, you pay a $40 fee, and there is a host wholesaler who handles all the beer. Best Brands is our wholesaler this year. So you bring your beer to Best Brands and they bring it down to the conference and boom, you can try their beer. Awesome. Now, Sharon, let's say I have a great recipe that I've been developing for a long time, and I really want to get into the craft brewing scene. What will I need to get started, aside from an excellent attorney? Well, I'm, I'm of course, business licenses and all of that, but um, what I've seen happen a lot is that people come into the beer industry from other industries, from other careers and other backgrounds, and often it starts with a really great homebrew that they're sharing at company picnics or nonprofit events with friends and different things. And eventually enough people get together and encourage that person with that really great recipe. Hey, you should think about opening a brewery. Mm. Well, it takes a whole lot of investors and it takes special equipment and, and the whole nine yards. Um, but it, it, it happens. It happens all the time. And we see a lot of success, especially throughout Nashville. How does the Tennessee Brewers Guild help people get started? We have a membership for breweries and planning, and we invite them to all of our events so that they get to come and meet brewery owners and uh, get to network and hang out with them. Um, We have monthly membership calls where we address different issues. Sometimes it's legal. Sometimes it's state partnerships. Uh, We did an event this year. We had a legislative reception and one of the brewers that came told me, you have no idea. I'm like a, I'm just fanning out here. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. I am standing in the room with all my favorite brewers. This is so inspiring. And, you know, so for those new people that are coming into the industry to be around those industry veterans, there's just a whole lot of synergy there and inspiration that happens. Question for you, Will. What if a Nashville-based brewer wants to expand to Chattanooga or Memphis? Does the law affect, how does the law affect that expansion? Well, so you can distribute your beer statewide from your brewery here in Nashville. But if you want to open, say, a tap room down in Chattanooga and you wanted to brew beer down there, you've got to get another federal permit and you've got to get a a beer permit from Chattanooga. So you you got to think about it and plan in advance. That's a lot of permits you got to get if you want to expand locations, huh? Yes, we've got some breweries that have got licenses all around the the middle Tennessee area and just recently, uh, one expanded to Chattanooga. So, yeah. Okay. Now, we know that breweries and brew pubs are very, very social atmospheres. But the pandemic slowdown, sh- shutdown, really it put a damper on that. How, Sharon, tell me, how did breweries, how did they adapt during that time of the pandemic? I have to say that I was, I was new to my position with the Guild when the pandemic started. And to see how quickly and creatively our brewers could pivot from that social taproom model to um, to go beer sales. And then, of course, we had home delivery. And then there were brewers who were combining their culture of, you know, their fun vibes in their taproom and combining that with home delivery. So you had, hey, order home delivery this week and we'll bring you a free baseball cap. And don't forget, you know, the person that's pouring that used to pour your beer in the tap room is now the one who's driving the van. And mm-hmm. so they really kept it up. And I think a lot of them also 
kept uh, really built up their social media presence and started doing more live streams. Uh, we did an event, actually, I think it was the day after we got married, that was uh, a virtual beer tasting event. And it was really fun. Matt left with Rhizome Productions uh, organized this whole thing where people would basically buy a box of beer and then they all logged into Zoom at the same time and the brewers from all around the state talked about the beers that were in that box. Oh, wow. And it was fantastic. It was so much fun. I think by noon we'd all had quite a bit of beer. <laughs> but, but it was really neat uh, to see how the brewers were able to leverage technology and to to stay in touch with their communities and their fans. You said something that intrigued me, to-go beers, delivery. Will, is that legal? Well, so during the pandemic, it was really cool because um, the, the executive director of the Metro Beer Board, Ben McDonough, uh, got together with a few people and we talked about what, what in the world can we do to help brewers, and in particular, all their people who are suddenly not working. Because the brewery shut down, the tap rooms were shut down, and they weren't people weren't buying craft beer the way that they had been before because you you weren't going to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So we um, we enacted very quickly a process that allowed not only to be able to deliver beer, but we required that breweries use their employees to deliver the beer. So rather than it being like an Uber Eats thing where mm -hmm. you've got just the Uber driver, it was actually the people that used to be in the tap rooms who were working, they're suddenly delivering beer. So it was okay. a really good thing. A question for you. You are the foremost attorney in the state for alcoholic beverages. How did you come to find that specialty? You know, it was just an accident. <laughs> really? <laughs> just lucky. Yeah. Yeah. My first gig out of law school, uh, the, one of the lawyers at the law firm represented the liquor wholesalers. And um, he had a few restaurant clients, and uh, he didn't like doing the work. His secretary didn't like doing the work. So I started doing it. And then I started going to national conferences, and I started picking up business. And I, I, I used to write a newsletter back in the old days. Now I've got a blog called Last Call. But, you know, by by reporting on things that are happening in the beer industry, it really helped people figure out, hey, if I want to, uh, you know, if I want to get an answer to my question, let's call Will. Mm -hmm. Now, I can only assume that you're both beer drinkers, right? <laughs> well, I am because it's, you know, it's part of my job. <laughs> Will, you're not a beer drinker? No, the doctor says I can't drink beer. I understand. I understand uh, that. So I'll me. have his. Okay. Doctor's <laughs> orders. Well, well, tell me. You know, Sharon, what is your favorite beer at the moment? Ooh, I I don't play favorites with my children. Okay. Uh, I don't. Uh, I will say that the my gateway beer when I was, you know, in my early 20s, my gateway beer was Guinness. A lot of us, you know, have that story. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I still love Guinness. There are, and I'm not just saying this because of the Craft Brewers Guild, but a couple of my all-time favorite beers live in this state. And that's all I can say. Okay. But uh, it's fantastic to be part of an organization that makes a product that you're so proud of. 
uh, the breweries that are working with farmers directly, whether they're putting Tennessee farm products in their beer or they're giving their spent grain to farmers. We've got um, some of our breweries that make dog cookies out of their spent grain. I mean, there's just all kinds of really cool things happening in our industry that connects us to this unique culture. All right, listeners are going to have to travel to all these breweries to figure out which one yes. are your favorite. We just launched an ale trail, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you can go on to the Tennessee Ale Trail, sign up for an account, and see if you can find my favorite. Well, we'll see if they can. Now, before I let you go, I understand that you both met through your work in beer, right? Yes. Sharon, tell us that story. Oh, I love to tell this story. <laughs> um, well, let's see. The The quick part is uh, at, at the beginning of the pandemic, Will is a member of the Guild, and his law partner is the Guild's attorney. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were just, we had no idea what was going on in our industry and, and how can we help. We started hosting Zoom calls and Facebook live streams and inviting all of our business members to come and share their knowledge. So it was attorneys and insurance agents and, you know, everybody. And, uh, you know, the Zoom calls got a little smaller, fewer people. And I think there was, I don't know, a few of them. <laughs> and he just is the thumbnail on the screen kept getting bigger and bigger. And he just is so cute. <laughs> and uh, we finally, during the pandemic, when no one else was going out and having fun, decided to meet up for a happy hour. Drinks with a colleague. Yeah, drinks with a colleague. Okay. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and, and and then had a pandemic wedding and the whole thing. And the so. rest is here. That's a story we can toast to, I'll tell you that. <laughs> how, how much beer did you have at your wedding, Will? At the reception, how many? How much beer? So, did so you we had a COVID have? wedding. Yeah. Oh, so yes. yeah, we so, didn't have any guests. No one. Yeah. Well, you're gonna have to throw a party then. <laughs> well, we love throwing parties. Okay. <laughs> okay. You'll be on the list. Oh, perfect, perfect indeed. I want to thank my guests, Will Cheek the Third. He is an attorney who specializes in alcoholic beverage work. He was joined by Sharon Cheek, the executive director of the Tennessee Craft Brewers Guild. Thank you both for being here with us today. Cheers to you. Thanks, thank you, Khalil. Khalil. Nice to meet you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet three local craft brewers and have a taste test of their signature and new beverages. What is your favorite Nashville beer? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking about our local craft brew scene, and I know it's the middle of the day, but it is Friday, and maybe you want a nice cold beer now. Crack it open if you got them. If not, well, my next segment may make you thirsty. As we heard before the break, the Craft Brewers Conference is happening in Nashville this weekend, and that's a sign of how much the craft beer industry has grown in our city. My next guests have been in the thick of it. Kent Taylor is the co-founder of Blackstone Brewing. Bailey Spaulding is the founder and CEO of Jackalope Brewery. And Chad Mueller is the head brewer at Tenfold Brewery. Thanks to you all for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I, I want to start at the beginning or sort of the beginning. Kent, Blackstone is the longest operating brewery in Nashville. 
What was the local beer scene like here before you got started? <laughs> what local beer scene? <laughs> okay. Oh, there, just, there really just wasn't much of, of anything. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. When we opened up, we sponsored a, uh, an event downtown, had a banner that had Blackstone Restaurant and Brewery on it. And one of the local beer distributors took duct tape and taped over the word brewery. Wow. So that, that that was the scene that we came into in 1994. So there was pretty much nothing in <laughs> town. Just, it was rough. Tell me this. Where did your love for craft beer come from? You know, it started a, a client of mine got me uh, into homebrewing and then from homebrewing, you know, led into craft beer. So I, I'm a longtime, longtime brewer. What type of, I'm curious, like what type of equipment do you need to be a homebrewer? It, it's fairly basic. couple of uh Gallon of five gallon buckets, uh, glass carboy, some something to um, to heat it in. Uh, I did mine on top of the stove in a in a big stainless steel pot. Okay, now tell me this: When did you decide to turn your love for home brewing from this hobby into a business? What inspired that decision? Well, it's back in the early '90s. I met my partner uh, Stephanie Wines, that was a restaurateur, um, uh, was educated uh, for restaurant management. We just kind of put our talents together and and decided to open a brew pub uh, back in '94, and we worked on it for two or three years, getting it organized and raising money and that sort of thing. So we we did finally get it open um, in 1994. What style of beer? What is what what kind of beer was the first one you had for sale? What was the style? Well, we had we had four beers. We had six total, but I remember the four, which are uh, the same four we still brew today. Okay. So we had a, a German-style Kolsch. It was called Chaser, um, named after Stephanie's son, Chase. Uh, we had um, Nut Brown Ale, still make that. Um, we, oh, let's see, the third one was Red Springs, which which has, has long since gone away. The fourth is St. Charles Porter. We make that. That's a was a home brew of mine. Chaser uh, was a homebrew of mine. Uh, Charles is my son, so both boys have beers named after him. So it, it is. Uh, and we've made the the Chaser and the Porter has been made for almost thirty years. Mm. Has been available in Nashville. Man, that's got to be real good. Thirty well, years. It's been a long time. <laughs> yes, it has. Now, now Bailey, I understand you're from Vermont, right? I am. Yeah. How did Nashville compare to what you were used to? Growing up north. Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up around a really rich, you know, craft beer culture. And um, so I moved down here in 2006 um, to go to law school. And, you know, there it was just it wasn't a huge part of here yet. You know, we had Blackstone. You guys were still a brew pub and Yazoo was maybe three years old. And um, because of some uh, of the laws in Tennessee, a lot of the craft breweries from the rest of the country weren't really sending their beer here. Um, and so uh, that was when I kind of decided to take matters into my own hands, I guess. You opened Jackalope. You were a home brewer. Mm -hmm. Got to ask, what did the very first beer you made, what did it taste like? Uh, it tasted like uh, the first beer on the Jackalope system. It or the first beer as a home brewer. Yeah, first, first beer Both. ever. Did you drink first, it? Yeah. <laughs> I was a law student. I drank it all. <laughs> um, yeah. I, well, you know, the first recipe I ever wrote as a home brewer is what eventually became our Bear Walker, uh, which is our biggest selling beer. Um, and, you know, there were lots of tweaks to it over the years, but... Um, as a Vermonter, I knew I wanted to make a beer that had ma maple syrup in it, and we still make it with pure Vermont maple syrup in it. Mm. And um, that that is also what uh, we first brewed on our you know on our 
you know, professional system. It did it. Uh, that beer did not resemble Bear Walker. I think we called it Cub Crawler because it was like okay. stuck national. <laughs> they had, okay. to, had to grow yeah. into Bear exactly. Walker. Exactly. What was the transition like from being a home brewer to opening your own brewery? Sure. I mean, I think um, sometimes it's good to just be naive and not know what, what you don't know. Um, but it's a really steep learning curve. But, you know, we had, I mean, Kent really helped us quite a bit when we'd have questions about how we should set stuff up or, um, you know, how glycol systems work, uh, those, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the mechanics that, the, cause the beer science is the same, um, just on a much larger scale, but the mechanical side of things, you just have no idea about as a homebrewer. Now, Chad, you came into business during the pandemic. That seems yeah. like a really tough situation. I mean, we didn't do it on purpose, but, uh, <laughs> what was that was like? What was that like for you to open up? tenfold while the city was shut down. Well, uh, it was stressful. I mean, we had we had just finished construction. We were a little bit behind in construction, as generally you would be. And uh, we're like, all right, you know, we've all been working really hard, six days a week. I spent a month laying cement. I was like, I'm ready for this to, like, pop off. And then they closed the city down, and I was like, oh, man. I thought I was making, like, a step up in my career, and I was like, did I just make the worst decision of my life? <laughs> um, but luckily we persevered. Um, a lot of creative ideas, and basically the the rule was like, no idea is stupid if it works. Well, tell me about that. Tell me how you all adapted your brand new business model. Yeah. Well, so we had an issue. There was the aluminum can shortage, um, and we hadn't bought any, you know, we're not a place like Blackstone or Jackalope where they have a lot of storage and they're buying, you know, truckloads of cans at a time. So uh, we had to revert to slinging uh, mason jars of beer out of a window. As well as pizzas, we stripped the entire menu down to only pizzas because those fit through a window really well. Wow! People would come by and grab a mason jar and a pizza, and then they would go back in the parking lot. And as long as we couldn't see them back in the parking lot, we couldn't tell them they weren't allowed to do that. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. But uh, but we also we lucked out. We lucked out with Donaldson. Donaldson uh, came out for us. The neighborhood came out for us really hard as well. So that was also a big part of the success was you know, figuring out ways to bring revenue in, but also like having such a supportive community out there already. Um, so we were really lucky as far as that goes. I'm going to get some, I want to get some inside baseball real quick from you. You know, Bailey mentioned glycol systems. What is that? It's uh, it's basically a giant <laughs> air conditioner, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, so glycol... Uh, air conditioner for water. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, water but, conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Glycol has a lower freezing point than water. So you mix that with water and it goes into a chiller just like your Freon wood in your air conditioner. And then that liquid is pumped into your fermenters when they need to be, when the temperature needs to be lowered. Gotcha. Okay. So it just uses uh, sensors and solenoids and thermometers that are all kind of wired together. And when you go out of temperature range, that solenoid will click on, pumps the glycol through your system or through your fermenter as much as you need it, and then turns off. So it's like a continuous loop thing. I mean, they... I one time went to a class on refrigeration engineering, and I was just like, I don't under it. Like, it made it more confusing okay. for me. It, it, I mean, that's that stuff is really, really dense, but in a sense, you take this stuff, you pump it into a thing that cools it, it pumps it through a loop and cools other things for you. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like so such a specialized knowledge, and I know that in, in the industry, in business, People don't share that knowledge too often, and they're, they're highly competitive. But Kent, Bailey mentioned this before. You helped her out. What is it like for you to help so many other 
people <coughs> get know, their businesses off the ground? There are so few resources, and, and especially back then, there were so few resources that I mean, you're just scrambling to get anything from anyone that would help you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the number of people that helped us along the way, and, and it's just, you know, it's just paying it forward. And um, it, it, we have always taken the position that a rising tide floats all boats. So if everybody's making good beer, we all sell more beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just good for the industry. Has that helpful spirit always been a part of the beer scene here? In my, to my knowledge, yes. I, I don't know that it, it's not competitive that I have run into. Yeah, same. It, I, I think, again, it is the pay it forward where, you know, you and Linus and Stephanie all helped us quite a bit. And then we try to do everything right. that we can for everyone else. You know, I was talking to our guests earlier and they were talking about some of the legal difficulties that come up. Heard something about the wholesale tax in the transition from segments. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you all about that. How difficult has the wholesale tax been for you to operate your businesses? Well, I mean, I think it just means that we we run on thinner margins because the consumer wants their beer to be the same price that it is in states, you know, with, with lower wholesale taxes. So, um, you know, we uh, we oftentimes end up with thinner margins. And, and the wholesale tax was a big reason why a lot of craft breweries were not sending their beer to Tennessee because they wouldn't make as much money off of it. And uh, in 2012-ish, 2012-ish, I believe is when, the, and they were probably talking about it, um, when we got some uh, legislation through that that helped helped with the wholesale tax to make Just, it. Yeah, it was stabilized. Right. It wasn't, it went from... Uh, it, it became a volume-based Right, tax. It went from a percentage to a fixed yeah, amount. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which at least that's something that we can, that we know what it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we, Tennessee is, has the unique privilege of having the highest beer tax in the nation. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're really proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the local beer scene with Kent Taylor, Bailey Spaulding, and Chad Mueller. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. All right, so I understand that some of you all have brought some of your beers in to have what we call a taste test. Full transparency, the team at This Is Nashville did not have to twist my arm for this part. <laughs> um, so let's get started. Kent, let's start with some of yours. <clears throat> we brought, um, or I brought two, uh, our Nashville Lager that is uh, German-style Hellas, and then our St. Charles Porter, which is, I've already mentioned, was one of my home brews that <clears throat> I've been making for 30 years. So two ends of the spectrum. One is uh, fairly light. Also, the, the Craft Brewers Conference is going to be hosting the World Beer Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are both, both of these have won World Beer Cup medals in the past. Wow. So I thought I'd bring those. So I'm about to taste test champion beer. Well, to some degree, yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's start. I'm a lager person. Let's start with the lager. Right. And, and, and when you're tasting beer, you want to start with lighter ones first and then more robust ones later. So that's, okay. that's one reason. All right. Reason so why, why don't we just go around? We'll try all the lighter ones. I don't want to ruin my palate. Um, all right. Here we go. Oh, wow. This is really nice. Thank you. It's crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> the Hellas style beer is the number one selling beer in Bavaria. Okay. Every brewery in Bavaria mm-hmm. makes a Hellas. What's special about the Hellas style? It is, well, it's, that's a really long story, but <laughs> which I will not go into. But it, it's, it, it, it's a very drinkable uh, it's like it's nice beer. It's it's a real nice beer. I can tell everybody it's a really nice beer. What made you want to make this Bavarian style? 
when we bought a, a brew house made, uh, made in Germany. So Stephanie and I went to Germany to inspect this. In the process in Bavaria, we went to all the little breweries around and got introduced to the style Hellas. Gotcha. And at the time, we said, at some point, we want to make this beer because we just fell in love with it in visiting these other breweries. We owned a German brew house. We felt like we needed to make it. Uh, and finally, in 2016, we did a t- ton of test batches and, and were able to, to pull this one off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely delicious. Okay, Chad. All right. So uh, this one is actually a beer that we released today. Uh, we release it every Cinco de Mayo. It's called Songs in the Key of Lime. I'm going to steal your cups oh, yeah. here, Kent. Songs in the Key of Lime. Yeah, it is a key lime lager. Uh, the, one of the most interesting things I think about this beer is the way the malt quality comes through. It's almost got like a graham cracker thing going on. Hmm. So it's almost like you're drinking the you're drinking a piece of key lime pie in some way. What? It's not it's not that sweet though. It's very dry. Very right. key lime forward though. Smells wonderful. Here we go. Oh man. Where'd you come up with the idea for this crazy flavor combination? Uh you know, I thought about I was thinking about a Cinco de Mayo beer. Um the owners of Tenfold, they also own a Mexican joint called Nectar, also just around the corner from where we're at. And so I was trying to think of uh, something that would be fun for Cinco de Mayo, but not be like, oh, we're going to make a margarita beer or whatever. Um, and so I settled on playing with some key lime because I thought it sounded weird enough, but like familiar enough. Uh, a lot of people asked me what I was doing. and I was like, I don't know, guys, but we'll see. And it ended up actually turning out pretty delightful. So... We decided to stick with it. I would say it is delightful. All right, Bailey. Now do us a favor, and I just want to, I want to bring the audience here. Crack that beer open in the <laughs> microphone so they can hear the freshness. Oh yeah, there you <laughs> that's the sound of Friday. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Happy afternoon, everybody. Um, so I have our Lovebird, um, which is a strawberry and raspberry wheat beer. Um, and so we do a primary fermentation just with the grain, um, and it's a major- the majority of the grain in it is wheat. And then we do a secondary fermentation uh, with strawberries and raspberries in it, too. So that's why it kind of mm. looks a little, a little bit pinkish. Um, and it's kind of, we, it comes out on March 1st every year, and it's our kind of spring and summer seasonal for um, just those warm weather days when you want something super refreshing. This is wonderful. Let's give it a shot. I mm. always get excited for lovebird season. Love bird season. I love yeah. it. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely delicious. On a hot day, all three of these mm-hmm. I'm doing. Good. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Succession. Okay, so for, for, for people who aren't familiar, how is a wheat bear different from, say, like a pilsner? Sure. Um, I mean, there's a few things. One is... Um, when you're talking about the the malt bill. So most of the malts that are used in beer are made out of barley. Um, but you uh, wheat is also wheat is also used. it's um, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to brew with sometimes the gluten uh, is real can be real sticky. Um, uh, but it provides a kind of a nice uh, velvety mouthfeel um, as well. Um, and a lot of times, too, uh, wheat beer, like a Hefeweizen, mm. is kind of the classic wheat beer, and they're brewed. They're generally brewed with different yeasts as well. So the classic kind of German Hefeweizens will have a lot of kind of banana and clove flavor uh, that come out of that yeast. We use an American Hefeweizen yeast on this. Um, 
I personally am not into the banana clove vibe. Uh, and so uh, we wanted to use a really clean uh, hefeweizen yeast on it so that it would also let the strawberries and raspberries shine. Yeah, that yeast would compete with the other things in there. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. We got a tweet in at This Is Nashville from someone using the handle Blue Chair CPT, <laughs> CBT. Okay. So who asks, quote, does Jackalope distribute into smaller Tennessee counties? <laughs> and where are some of the, lo- of the locations located outside of Nashville? Uh, that would be the Blue Chair <laughs> uh, tap, uh, Tavern in Sewanee. Uh, that's definitely who tweeted you. Hi, okay. hi Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> um, we do. Yeah, we're, we distribute uh, statewide and, and we, we do distribute in Sewanee as well. Awesome. Now, you mentioned something about how the gluten can get tricky in the brewing process. A lot of people, through dietary choice and also restrictions, are gluten intolerant and they're going with gluten-free diets. Have you all been able to create beverages that will serve them that are not beer? It's difficult. Mm -hmm. Barley has, has gluten in it. Really, all of our ingredients have it. So traditional beers, the answer is no. Uh, there is a product that you can, an enzyme you can put in that will reduce the gluten. Uh, there's a little debate on whether it's enough to re- reduction to where there's something still there for a celiac, someone who's really uh, sensitive to that, I, I think still has have some issues with gluten-reduced beers. And then there's alternative grains, spelt, um, uh, um, millet, millet, and buckwheat, which is not a wheat, uh, that that a lot of brewers are using to simulate the flavors of beer uh, and and eliminate eliminate the um, the gluten. Okay, let's move on to the darker brews. I have have one. I'm down. Let's do it. (laughs) So this this is our St. Charles Porter. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I've brewed this beer for for over 30 years because it came out as, as as a home brew of mine. Um, the best description of this beer is it's very round and well-balanced. Uh, there's not really a flavor that, that sticks out um, uh, over another one. Mm. It, uh, you want to maybe think coffee. We don't, it doesn't have coffee in it, but it does have roasted grain, roasted malt in it. And, and the roasting process is going to give it a similar character to a coffee Okay. Uh, because of the roasting. Um, but uh, anyway, that... This is our most award-winning beer. We've mm. won lots of medals for mm. this beer. I love this beer. Thank you. Wow. Ooh, I love that. It's just very round, well-balanced. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the type of thing to keep you warm in the winter. You know, it, 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 which is a misconception. When we first start opened the production brewery, our... our um, our distributor said, you better get ready. It's getting summertime. This, the sales are going to drop off. This beer doesn't drop off. I mean, it's such great beer. It, it, is, um, it sells well year-round. In the winter, it does pick up a little bit. But, um, I mean, it's, it's not overly, it's, it, it's not as heavy as a stout is. Um, mm-hmm. And this is what uh, technically is called a brown porter. Okay. Uh, that's the the uh, category that it's entered in in competition. And it's a category that has won in competitions. We, we have won a few medals. A couple, yeah. couple here and there. All Just right. a few here and there. Chad, what am I going to try next? Uh, so next up we have our Vienna Lager, Hillbilly Disco. Um, our approach to the Vienna Lager is a little, a lot of commercial Vienna Lagers tend to be uh, a little sweet for my palate. 
So I went for a more traditional, very kind of malt forward, like grainy, bready, a little bit of caramely malt character in there. But generally, this is a it's going to be a really dry beer. Um, this one is one of my favorite beers and one of the easiest beers we do to pair with food, I think. What's There's, a good food pairing? Oh, man, uh, this is really great with any anything that you're going to barbecue. Okay. Um, anytime, mm. like you get some char on something from that grill, that char is going to really Ooh. come together nice with that carameliness, that breadiness, yeah. that toastiness. Yeah. You, do you use local ingredients? I do. Um, although, not for this one. Mm. Um, for the most part, yeah. So this... Uh, I'm pretty particular about the base of this beer, and it comes from a, a very old German maltster. Um, but for about 90, I'd say about 95% of our beers, we use uh, locally sourced grain um, coming from Manchester and from Clarksville, from okay. a couple of farms. Teeter Farms and Willis Farms are both the places. They send their barley to a malt. There's two different maltsters in North Carolina, and then that's where I order all my grain from, okay. or most of my grain from. I order it from them. We try to be as local as possible. Um, for me, beer and community are go hand in hand and the kind of being the cornerstone, being a brew pub, being the corner, kind of like a cornerstone of the community is something that we strive for very much. That's awesome. Now, Bailey, we have got a minute left. I hear it. I'm about, right. to, t- I'm about to taste a beer no one has before. It's brand new. Uh, comes Ooh. out literally this weekend. So we have um, our beer called Drinking Buddy, uh, which is a golden ale. That's a collaboration we did with Hattie Bees, um, and so it's it's actually going to be and you know a permanent collaboration, I guess you'd say. So would this food pairing go well with hot chicken? It would, yeah. And Ooh. so uh, clearly that was what we had in mind when we did this. So with a golden, it's still going to be pretty light bodied, um, but it is a little bit more malt forward. Um, we wanted it to be refreshing, but actually be able to you know. Uh, uh, balance the hot chicken well. Oh, wow. Um, so there's a lot of fun meetings coming uh, coming into making this beer. Mm. <laughs> um, and so it's got, we use um, some Pacific Northwest hops in it to give it just a little bit of hoppiness. Um, but again, you know, when you have something like an IPA or something would really be competing with those intense flavors with the hot chicken, we wanted this to be balancing and refreshing. Mm. That's really nice. You you. absolutely nailed it. I want to thank all of you for coming on to the show. Really, really appreciate it. I want to thank my guests, Bailey Spaulding of Jackalope Brewery, Chad Mueller with Tenfold Brewery, and Kent Taylor of Blackstone Brewery. Thank you all for being here, and cheers. Thanks for the beers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Rose Gilbert. Our executive, our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Tony Gonzalez. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. Be good to each other, and I'm about to take a nap.